0: Good morning, church. Great to see you all. Welcome to Union Chapel today. If you're joining us online, so glad you're with us again today. Uh, God bless you for joining in. Hasn't this been a beautiful experience so far? Um, You you have been witnesses to one of the most beautiful experiences in life, watching people follow Jesus in the sacrament of baptism. It is a beautiful witness of God's work on the interior of people's lives, now expressed on the exterior so that we can all observe and participate in it. It is a huge advertisement for Jesus, a great commercial for following Jesus, and I hope it's inspiring you as it has me. God bless you for being here. We have been talking about dangerous prayers, dangerous prayers, because following Jesus was never meant to be safe. Now, that's where amen goes early in the service, but you missed it. You missed it. Because following Jesus was never meant to be safe. Okay, a little tentative, but (laughs) we're not sure about this guy, and we don't know what he means by dangerous prayers. Well, the first week we talked about make me bold, more bold for Christ. Last week, Lord, speak to me. Speak to me, Lord, your servant is listening. And today, our sub-theme is break my heart. Break my heart. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the Old Testament prophet of Jeremiah. We're going to start there. Jeremiah chapter 8, and I'm going to read verses 18 to 22. Let me set this up. Jeremiah lived uh, during the period of the divided kingdom, and he was, he was in Judah, and the people were far from God. And they were rebellious toward God. They were engaged in pagan practices of all sorts, horrible evil practices. They were oppressing the poor. They weren't taking care of the, of the widows and the orphans. It was, a, it was a horrible period in the life of the nation. And Jeremiah, as a prophet of God, comes along, and he, he is determined to try to get people's attention for Jesus' sake, for God's sake. And, and folks weren't listening to him much. And so he got the nickname the Weeping Prophet because he preached some fiery sermons. I mean, he was out there. And this is a text where we discern, we hear him prophesying, speaking now from his heart, that God has broken him, that he is grieved beyond measure because of the state of the nation, and his heart has been broken. So if you have ears to hear it, it begins in verse 18. Our custom is to stand to hear God's word. Thank you for doing that as you're able. And Jeremiah writes, You who are my comforter in sorrow, my heart is faint within me. Listen to the cry of my people from a land far away. Is the Lord not in Zion? Is her king no longer there? Why have they aroused my anger with their images, with their worthless foreign idols? The harvest is past. The summer has ended and we are not saved. Since my people are crushed, I am crushed, I mourn, and horror grips me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is there no healing for the wound of my people? May God enlighten us, instruct us, encourage us through his word today. You may be seated. Thanks so much. So welcome to Dangerous Prayers. Make me bold, speak to me, and today break my heart because following Jesus was never... Meant to be safe. Now I, I'm aware that many of us will not choose to pray these dangerous prayers. Just won't do it. Refuse to do it because uh, they don't fit into the more common prayers that we tend to pray. The easy prayers that we tend to pray. The safe prayers. You know, God bless me. God protect me. God keep me. Uh, you know, God give me a green light. You know, at the at the stop. These are more common prayers. It's not consistent with the God that we have Americanized in our culture, popularized in our culture. I like the easy prayers, and it's okay to pray the easy prayers. Bless me, help me. It's okay. I like safe prayers myself. Uh, and I don't want to be inconvenienced any more than you do, or interrupted or challenged. In other words, God, if you really love me, the prayers we tend to pray is give me a hassle-free day, good food, green lights, nice people, well-behaved kids, no zits just before prom. (laughs) Please, God, not now. Today's prayer, break my heart, is not a safe prayer. And God will answer this prayer and you might feel, in him answering this prayer, you might feel frustrated. You might become uncomfortable. You might find that life is actually harder, that chances are really good that it won't be easy, your life, that is, if you pray the prayer, break my heart. Essentially what you're saying is, God, please crush me. Strip me of comfort. Take away from me ease of life. Remove from me spiritual apathy. I don't want to be just the average Christianized, culturalized Christian person in our world today who is apathetic, mostly indifferent, and, and if you took my temperature, I'm lukewarm as a follower of Jesus. And so you should know, just heads up as we begin this message, that if you pray this prayer, God will answer it. He will answer this prayer every time. And you may find yourself burdened or grieved, or your heart aching. You might lose sleep over this prayer. You might find that your heart burns with righteous anger. I don't know about you, but I feel righteous anger in today's culture. I only say about a tenth of the things I want to say, (laughs) because saying the other things might not be helpful. You might be facing spiritual resistance if you pray this prayer, opposition, criticism, maybe even persecution if you pray this prayer. So the question today is this, why in the world should I pray this prayer? Break my heart. Why in the world would we pray it? I have three statements I want to make today. Here's the first one. Look at it on the screen with me. You will be blessed as your heart breaks over something that breaks the heart of God. You'll be blessed as your heart breaks over the things that break God's heart. Jeremiah was this weeping prophet. He was in this time when when there was rebellion against God and resistance to his word and his ways. The the poor were being oppressed. Children were literally being sacrificed to pagan gods. They would take newborn babies. Think about this. Take newborn babies and throw them in a fire to appease some pagan god, some demon. I mean when you hear that, you just think how Wrong-minded, how backwards must people have been, how corrupt in their thinking must they have been to take little children and sacrifice them to false idols. And before you point too many fingers at a culture like that, we are a culture like that. We kill pre-born children by the millions, and since Roe v. Wade, the tens of millions. Millions. It is wrong, it is evil. The Bible describes it as shedding of innocent blood which always provokes, ultimately provokes the wrath of God, the judgment of God on a people. Now, as I say, we're preaching from Jeremiah today and a little Jeremiah gets on me once in a while. Jeremiah was aching on behalf of God. He's saying, this isn't right. How can this be happening? You claim to know God and love God, and yet you still behave this way. You're abusing people and mistreating those that are powerless. In Jeremiah 8, our text, the prophet says, my grief is beyond healing. There is no repair, he said. My heart is broken. I hurt with the hurt of my people. I mourn. I'm overcome with grief. My heart is crushed. My heart is broken on behalf of of the injustices of those who are abusing those who do not have the power to defend themselves and make it right. So Jeremiah did what he knew to do. He, he prophesied, he preached. Uh, you can read the book of Jeremiah and find some of the most fiery sermons you've ever heard in your life. That's all he knew to do. He was desperate to get people's attention. By the way, Jeremiah essentially preached his whole career with great fire and passion. He would fast and pray. On one occasion, he stripped down to his underwear and ran through the middle of the street, beating pots, pots and pans, trying to get people's attention. And no one would listen to him. Preached his whole career, no one paid any attention. Thus, the weeping prophet. It's very sad. But he was motivated by a broken heart. A broken heart is something that affects the way you see the world. For example, you might see a person standing beside the road with a little signs that says "homeless." Anything will help. It's like that, and you say, "Well, my heart breaks for a person like that." Well, I'm not really talking about that person when I say "break my heart, God." It's okay to care for a person like that who may be homeless and may need help. And it's, and it's good to have compassion, empathy. A person like that, however, uh, puts themselves in a bit of an awkward category in today's culture because we have just under 10 million jobs available in the United States right now. If you're able-minded and able-bodied... I'm getting back in that Jeremiah thing again. If you're able-minded and able-bodied in today's America, y- you should get a job. There are 10 million of them. Well, you can't make a living wage on one of those jobs. Fine, get two of those jobs. Well, you can't quite make it on two of those jobs. Fine, get three of those jobs. There are 10 million of them. Get a job. Stop expecting other people to take care of you. Stop it. Or you may see an animal suffering. It's good, isn't it? It's right to care for an animal that's suffering. You don't want to see that, experience that. And so th- those are ways that you, your heart can break. But that's not, that's not really the kind of broken heart that I'm, that I'm trying to describe. Jeremiah said, my grief is unbearable. My heart is broken. I'm all, I'm all torn up about this. My question to you this morning is, do you want that in your life? Do you want to have that kind of experience? Do you want to go through the world like that? It'll eat at you, it'll gnaw at you, it'll consume you until you have to do something to make a difference in that category that grieves you so much. This is the opposite of everything our Modern culture promises. It's the very opposite of the feel-good kind of version of Christianity that says God exists for you. God exists to make your life better, to take away your pain, to fill you with blessings and ease and prosperity and comfort. Here's the second statement. I have three. This is the second. Look at it on the screen. What if God's greatest blessings come from God's greatest breakings? What if? What if the most special blessings from God come on the other side of the pain that moves you out of self-care, self-interest to the caring of other people on his behalf? What if the greatest blessings are actually on the other side of the greatest breakings? What would happen if God really broke your heart for the things that break his heart? What if God blessed you with a heavenly burden, a divine burden? a holy hurt. It could be that the greatest blessing comes from those breakings. I don't know about you. I like comfort. Can I get an amen? I like luxury. I like a nice hotel room while you're out camping. I don't understand camping. I like shampoo that smells good. Well, I used to. I used to like it. I like freshly washed clothes. I like someone to change out my bed. I like a nice swimming pool. I like a sauna. I like comfort. I like first class. I like five star. I can tell you stories. Here's the problem. Comfort never once moved me to action. I never became so comfortable that I thought, this is so nice, this is so comfortable, let's go change the world. That's never happened to me. Comfort just seems to beget more comfort. Now I don't like pain, but what does pain do? Pain purifies, it does. Suffering actually strengthens. Trials actually make you more like Jesus and teach you to depend on God. I'm sorry to have to say this. So maybe break my heart, O God, is a dangerous prayer, but ultimately is where the greatest blessings are found. Is it possible? What if the greatest blessings in life come from the greatest breakings in life? Moses was born of Israelite parents while his people were in bondage in Egypt, and because of a, of a sleight of hand from his mother, he ends up in the palace of Pharaoh. In the first 40 years of his life, he's raised in the palace. And it's a wonderful thing for Moses, except he observes the cruelty being applied to his people in bondage as slaves in Egypt, until one day he snaps. And he grabs an, an Egyptian guard and kills him. And because of that, he's extricated, exiled out of Egypt. And for the next 40 years, he's contemplating who he is and who his people are and God's sense of call on his life. Until one day, Moses stands before the most powerful man in the world, the Pharaoh of Egypt, and says, let my people go at the risk of his own life. Because he couldn't take it anymore. The burden was too great. His heart was too broken knowing his people oppressed, so he had to act. Little David, you remember his story. He's the the runt in the family. He's the youngest guy in the family. His older brothers are out doing the, the warfare in the army against the Philistines, and David's dad sends him out to the front lines with a bag of sandwiches for his brothers. And when he gets there, he hears this giant, this Goliath, this Philistine, taunting the armies of the living God and impugning the character of Almighty God himself. And little David hears this giant defying the armies of God and says, who does this uncircumcised Philistine think he is? Impugning the character of Almighty God and insulting his people. And everyone around him says, be quiet, man. He's, he's, He's a great warrior, he can't be defeated. You're gonna upset him further. And David said, you think he's too big to to defeat? He said, I think he's too big to miss. (laughs) And by the way, how many brothers does he have? He has four brothers. Oh, so there's five giants in total. So David said, I'm going to need five smooth stones from the brook. Because little David's heart was broken, burdened, would not rest until this wrong was made right. Nehemiah is the same category. Nehemiah was the cupbearer of the king. This means he had a cushy job, and all he had to do every day was sip the wine offered to the king. The reason he would sip it is to make sure it wasn't poisonous. (laughs) So every day that he didn't fall over from poison, that's a good day. (laughs) Nehemiah hears that the walls of the city of Jerusalem are are falling down. And the people have no protection. They have no place any longer. They have no, they have no sense of pur- purpose and, and personhood in the world. And it burdens his heart. And God breaks Nehemiah's heart. And at the risk of his own life, he asks the king, may I be permitted to go and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem? And he's given permission. And Nehemiah goes back. He knows nothing about building a wall. But he inspires the people because his heart is broken. broken to see the walls rebuilt and the nation restored. It's an amazing story. It moved him out of his comfort. You may remember that Jesus himself stood over Jerusalem one day and he wept over Jerusalem. His heart was broken because he saw the people of Israel as sheep without a shepherd. They didn't didn't know the way. They, they, They didn't have the peace that they needed for their relationship with God. And Jesus wept. He said, pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send people into the harvest field. Someone's got to go and tell this wonderful message of hope. As you know, we're attempting to build a recovery home for men here in Muncie. We're finalizing plans to build a brand new house. We've had some setbacks. There's all kinds of issues you know, anytime you attempt something great for God, you're going to get opposition. There's the understatement for the day. And it's, it's been all kinds of things. COVID, you know, supply lines, material costs, blah, 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 blah. But we are, we are at a place now where we've decided we're not going to renovate an old house. We're just going to build a new one. And it'll be able to house six men with a director in the house. And this will be a transitional home. These will be men who are in the final stages of recovery Seeking to reclaim their jobs, their careers, reclaim their marriages and their children. This will be a Christ-centered home where authentic relationships with Christ and others are modeled so these men can reclaim the best plan of God for their lives. And we're going to do that. But I don't know what will break your heart. It might be the plight of the unborn. It might be for little children in our community who can't read. And you'll want to do something about that. Or maybe it'll be racial injustice that haunts many people. Or maybe you found people somewhere in the world who don't have enough pure drinking water and you want to do something about that. Or maybe you have a friend who's just made so many bad decisions in their financial lives that they're just broken. And you want to help them. And you can come alongside of them and coach them. Or maybe it's people who are suffering from mental illness that you want to reach out to or trapped in addiction, or recovering from infidelity. Some of you have strong marriages, and your, your passion, your, your heart breaks for couples that could have a, a wonderful marriage, but they, they've struggled, and they've stumbled, and you want to come alongside of them and help them. Maybe your heart is for teenagers. Teenagers in our culture today are not in a good, good place, generally speaking. They're hurting themselves. They're filled with self-doubt. They're addicted They abuse themselves. Suicide rates are epidemic. And maybe your heart's just for teenagers. And you want to show up at our youth ministry 180 every Sunday night and just hang out with kids because you're passionate for them. Your heart breaks for them. When you pray this prayer, God, break my heart, God will actually break your heart. And when it does, you should thank God that you begin to care about the things that God cares about. Most people think it's easier not to care. This is why people back away from this kind of praying, why they withhold this kind of prayer. It's because it's better, they think, not to hurt. It's better not to feel brokenness. It's better not to have a broken heart. It's better not to get involved. I mean, I've got my own problems. I mean, I've got my own issues and my own conflicts and my own relational challenges. Why in the world would I want to ask God to break my heart with other people's problems? And so people tend not to go there. Let me just make this third statement. I'll put it on the screen. It's better to hurt with a purpose than it is to exist without one. It's better to hurt with a purpose than it is to exist without one. And that is absolutely true. Look at this verse from Romans chapter 9, verses 1 to 4. This is the Apostle Paul. He said, I speak the truth in Christ. He said, I'm not lying. Then again, another qualifier, my conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. He said, I have a deep conviction about this and the Holy Spirit within me confirms that this is actually how I feel about this subject. And then he says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. My heart's broken for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. So here's the Apostle Paul, he admits out loud, he says, look, I'm not lying about this, you may think this is hyperbole, but this is, I'm sincere as I can be, I mean, the Holy Spirit, I'm not lying, my conscience is clear when I tell you, sincerely tell you that I would allow my own soul to be cursed and separated from Christ forever if my own people, those of Israel, might find the hope that I have found and the peace I have found in knowing Jesus Christ. Here's a guy willing to give up his own soul so that others might find life and hope. That's what happens when you have a broken heart. But it's better to hurt with a purpose than to exist without one. I imagine sometimes people look at my life, and if you know me or my wife, Beth, very well at all, you might conclude that we have a great life. And in so many ways, you'd be right. I do have a lot of great things in my life. I've got a great marriage, been married to my wife for 44 years, we kiss a lot, we love each other, She's, she's the most precious thing in my life, I love my kids, we have two sons, of course they have their own families who are also wonderful, our two sons are impressive, you know, I've met a lot of people in my life. These two guys are they're solid. They love God, they're faithful to their families. If you met them, you'd be impressed with them. I and mean, they're just great. What a great blessing. I have great friends. I have great friends. Wonderful support network. People that I can count on. I know I can count on no matter what. I I have a great team. I work with people here at Union Chapel. Our staff here are, is comprised of, of the, some of the greatest people in the world. These are some of the finest human beings you'll ever meet. Amazing people. So honored to serve beside them. But I'm going to tell you something something I've never said out loud. I am miserable. I can't tell you exactly when it started, but I have been miserable for decades. It never goes away. Never goes away. Never. I may go on a, quote, vacation, you know, for a week or two or three. I may be gone for a while and I come back and people are very kind, you know, you're caring. Did you have a good time? Did you get some rest? Uh, Was it refreshing for you? And I always lie. Yeah, it was great. Thank you so much for asking. Thank you for caring. We're doing very well. We're miserable. We're miserable all the time. My heart is broken. For you, it may be for one of those things I've already mentioned, you know, the unborn or children or people addicted or that's what breaks your heart. I can tell you that for decades, I've been miserable for one reason, because people are lost. I can't get over it. I can't get past it. I play along sometimes because I, because I, I know that if I don't mitigate my misery, I might give up. Just, what's the use? I can't carry this anymore. It's too much of a burden. I said, so I can't do it anymore, so I have to, I have to do some internal speak, and one thing I do is I count my blessings. Well, look at all the blessings God's given you. I mean, look at your life. I mean, look at your family. Look at your friends. Look at your, your influence. Look at the opportunity. And so I, I rehearse those blessings, and they're real blessings, and they're wonderful. And I, like I said, I imagine if people on the outside looking in would say, gosh, you have a great life. And I do. And so I, I mitigate my misery by counting my blessings. And the other thing that I do, which is the more important thing to do, is I remind myself that out of my pain, out of my brokenheartedness, out of my misery, issues forth all of the productivity and the fruitfulness of my life. All the good comes out of that because I really do care that people are lost. And, and hopeless without Christ. So I actually believe this. I have a conviction about this. I actually believe that there's a place called heaven and real people go there. And there's a place called hell, which is a place of eternal separation from God, and real people go there. And it bugs me. It bothers me. It burdens me. It ruins me. And it leaves me miserable all the time. Because I stand up every week and I talk to hundreds and hundreds of people and I wonder, are you ready to meet God? This week, Beth came to me. It was midweek this past week and she was in tears. I said, what's the matter? What's happened? She said, well, I just found out something that she said, just breaks my heart. That was the word she used. We had a family that attended our church for many years. They, several years ago, moved away to another city. And, but we know their family well and know their kids. And, and these kids were in our children's department and in our youth program and so forth and in church every week and just part of our culture here and absorbing the opportunities to meet Christ. And Beth just discovered this week that the oldest of these children, a woman who's an adult now, uh, that she married another woman. Now, this isn't a sermon on LGBTQ questions and where the lines are and how we manage all that and how we love people well. But in our worldview, to hear that report broke my wife's heart. It's broke her heart. Left her in tears. I get burdened by Christians who get caught up in legalism, following rules, losing, completely losing the joy of following Jesus. It wears me out. I get really burdened and broken. By Christians who've lived for Jesus and run hard after God for a while and then they fall off and they give up, they slip away, they make choices that are destructive. It's painful, it's miserable, it's horrible. I look out over faces like I did this morning and hear people being baptized and it's, it's the most beautiful sight in the world. Thank God. Thank you, Lord. Wonderful. Thank God. I can celebrate that. But at the same time, I, I'm miserable because I wonder about you. I wonder about you. If you died today... Are you certain you'd spend eternity with Jesus in heaven? Do you know that? So we pray, break my heart, God. Break my heart. Break my heart for what breaks yours. And then then at the same time, we're thankful. We're thankful for the pain of that brokenness because that's what drives us to a higher calling, to more selfless service to identify with the suffering service himself, Jesus Christ. So remember, be thankful, because it's so much better to hurt with a purpose than to exist without one. And besides, following Jesus was never meant to be safe. I wonder how many would join me today. I know it won't be many. I wonder how many would pray, break my heart. I joked about this earlier in this series that I don't pray this prayer because I I don't think I could take more breaking. I just feel like I'm on the margin all the time. I can't be more miserable than I already am. (laughs) Can't be more blessed than I already am. But I wonder how many of you would be willing to pause and pray this simple, dangerous prayer. Lord, break my heart. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we ask that by the power of your spirit, you would just do some wrecking today. Wreck our hearts, God. Break us out of our comfort, our pursuit of ease, our spiritual apathy, Lord, I know there will not be many willing to pray this prayer. I I get it. But remind us on the other side of the greatest breakings are the greatest blessings. It's true. It is the blessings of making a difference in this world, reflecting the goodness and grace, the power, the love, the mercy of your son Jesus. That's what matters. That's where life is found. So I wonder today, if you're within the sound of my voice, how many of you would pray, Lord, break my heart with the things that break your heart? Could I ask you to be so bold? Would you just lift your hands? I know there won't be many. Break my heart with the things that break your heart. Thank you so much. God, I pray for grace to sustain all of these persons who have raised their hands. Because, God, I know there's going to be pain. So I pray for patience as they attempt to represent you and are faced with opposition. God, I pray for mercy to carry them when they do something and it fails, when they're misunderstood, when they take two steps forward and get pushed back three. God, I pray that in their weakness, when they recognize they can't do it on their own, and they feel like they never, ever will, that your strength will be enough for them. Lord, break our hearts for the very things that break yours. We pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. And the people said, amen. Would you stand with us?